great job. Great job. Um, for those of you that do not know me, my name is Jason McHenry. I am the student minister here at Christ Community, and I know I can be confused with one of those students because I'm so young and vibrant, but uh, that is hardly from the truth, and I'm really feeling it after the first service and having to do this again. So you guys uh, pray for Pastor Keith because two services is uh, it's a killer, but I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning, and I'm more excited just to say, man, this is what our student ministry is doing. These are what this is what our students are doing, and this is kind of our annual report to say, man, this is what the students have been doing over the past year. This is kind of where we're going. This is what our ministry is kind of focused on at this juncture, and um, so we are going to kind of get that kicked off. As as you'll notice, everybody's wearing the same shirt, and we color coordinate pretty well. Um, by design. This is actually a shirt that we actually wore for the um, winter retreat last December. And last December, we kind of talked about this principle of what it means to unite, to be united, to be unified, to have unity in the body of Christ. And the students that just read that uh, passage out of Ephesians 4, um, that passage is specifically dealing with unity, with unity in the body of Christ. So we're going to talk about that just a little bit this morning. But when I say the word unity, I'm going to give you a couple seconds. And uh, just to figure out, what is the first image that comes to mind? Ready? One, two. Okay, so who's got that image in their mind? Do you have a picture of unity maybe in your head? Okay, because this is a pop quiz. It's pass or fail. All right, so here we go. Uh, what's the, what, one of the things that came to mind for me was maybe uh, people holding hands. Now, if you saw people holding hands or working with their hands, raise your hand. And a few. Okay, you guys get to stay. Um, second picture is maybe a football team working together to kick a winning full field goal. Okay, we got that one. I'll even go with any sports team. Maybe you saw Unity in some sports team. Um, maybe you saw, this one's kind of out there, a rock concert. People getting jazzed and fired up and all screaming in unison and, and shouting and gathered around one stage. Did anybody see that? Okay, a couple, but you were in last service. So, I mean, well, I mean, what can we say? All right, so you guys didn't get that one. That's okay. You probably have a different picture of Unity if that's not what you saw. And that's okay. We'll let you stay for the service, even though maybe you didn't pass the quiz. So we'll let that slide. Um, but in Ephesians 4, um, Paul kind of gives us a different example of Unity. He gives us a different, like, illustration, a visual. And he calls the church the body of Christ. Um, I'm sure several of us have heard that term. The body of Christ. It is, it is biblical. So here we see the body of Christ. But they can get a little kind of cliche in culture um, just because we throw that term around just like with every um, kind of Christian slogan or slang that we have. We kind of throw it out till it really loses its meaning. Uh, so there's a very complex kind of illustration we're going to talk about this morning. Um, is going to be talking about that body and how complex that is and what that means for the unity as a whole. But for now, let's just kind of ask ourselves, what's so important about unity? What is so important about maintaining unity? And uh, let's go to Ephesians 4 if you guys have that. Uh, we're just going to be speaking out of that, that text today. But right out of Ephesians 4, let's just kind of look and just make some observations within the text itself to see what is so important about unity. Uh, in verse 3, Paul describes this, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, listen to how many times the word one is used in this next, uh, these next few verses. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Uh, further in verse 13, it simply says this. 
until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In Paul's own words, we see that word one, of, of completeness, of wholeness, of unity. We see that we are to obtain the unity of faith, that we are to strive to be more like Christ and to grow in that maturity. Through a prayer, through obedience, and the study of his word, we become more like Christ. And all this is accomplished in unity, not division. Now, I kind of saw unity in like an odd way, or I do see unity in a very odd way outside of the pictures that maybe you guys didn't get. But I kind of like to look at assembly lines or maybe like a factory and how they produce a product. Um, how many in here have watched the show Unwrapped on the Food Channel? Anybody? We've got several of you that have nothing better to do along with me than watch the Food Network and watch Unwrapped. But I love that show. I love to see how everything kind of goes together to create this product, to, to have an end result of a working system. I'd I really love to see that. I watched, um, I watched one on corn dogs, okay? Corn dogs, very complex, uh, very complex and uh, luxurious food, the corn dog, okay? I got to see how all this goes together, okay? So you got your, you got your hot dog, obviously, all right? So it kind of goes down the line. You got people that their whole job is just to put the sticks in the hot dog. Pretty awesome. All right, goes down a little further down the line. After the sticks are placed in the hot dog, then it goes into the batter, goes into the grease, and then, check this out, and then after it's fried up, it cools off, it goes and it's been frozen, and then they package it up, and it's sent out. And that's pretty awesome, right? I mean, I mean, don't you guys get jazzed about a corn dog? I love me a corn dog. So, hey, maybe you don't get excited about corn dogs, but maybe you get excited about something else. But I just love to see how things work. And you know, in the body of the Christ, is the same thing. We have these moving parts, and I love to see it work. I love to see us maintain that unity that we have given, been given by God uh, by design, and that we should maintain that unity in uh, Outside of corn dogs, I won't talk about that all morning, but, but I love to see that unity in the body of Christ in the moving pieces. But, now let me ask you this, because I've always wondered when I watch Unwrapped, I'm just, and maybe it's a little pessimistic, but I, I always kind of want to see something mess up, maybe like, you know, the corn dog line get backed up and there's corn dogs all over the floor, and just to say, I, I wonder what happens when something goes down in the factory. And I'm sure there's some people pretty upset when things go bad in the corn dog factory, including myself, but... You know, I think, what happens? What, I mean, what, what happens? What, how, what happens when the process gets slowed up? And, you know, if the church is supposed to maybe produce a product, to have this final product, and we are, by maintaining a system, you know, what does it look like when something goes awry, when something's not working in the body? Now, speaking of the body, we're not talking about an assembly line. We're not talking about necessarily something tangible. There is external results that we can visibly see, but... Often, just looking at the external of the body of Christ, we cannot identify maybe what has gone wrong inside, internally. See, the body is a very complex system, very complex system, and that's the system that Paul is describing. So if you would direct your attention to the screens, maybe we'll gain some more insight in the body, the human body, and how complex it is. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Darwin wrote uh, The Origin of Species in 1859, published it in 1859. He had an idea of the cell as being quite simple, correct? Yeah, everybody did. Okay. If, if he thought of the cell as being a Buick, what is the cell now in terms of its complexity by comparison? A galaxy. A galaxy. A galaxy. What do we now know that a cell is? If it's not a lump of jello, what would you compare it to? It's a nano factory. If Darwin thought a cell was, say, a mud hut, 
what do we now know that a cell is? I would say it would be more complicated than uh, a Saturn V. So what is in a cell as far as we know now? A world that Darwin never could have imagined. dynamic. It is one mass of activity going on, bringing information out from across the cell, opening doors, closing doors, motor molecules, motor, actually motor molecules moving along tracks. It is, it is probably one of the most dynamic physical systems in the universe. Got this whole automated city. Everything is automated, and and, it, and it's I mean it's it's a level of nanotechnology which would cause any engineer to drool. It's Broadway <laughs> without the traffic lights. <laughs> Okay, as we kind of look into the human body, we see that uh, just the cell, the tiniest living organism, is, is a lot more complex than we originally thought. And who, who can actually tell me what a Saturn V is? If you can raise your hand and tell me what a Saturn V is, I knew there would be a couple. I'll, give, I'll get with you guys after the service. That's impressive. So anyway, a cell, uh, a cell itself uh, is a tiny living organism within our body, right, within our makeup. A cell does many things. It carries proteins, replicates. A group of cells make tissue. Tissue make organs. Uh, the cell does many things that I'm not even qualified to speak about. If you want more information on the cell, see everyone that raised their hand and said they knew what a Saturn V was. They can probably give you more information than I can. But what I want us to see this morning is that when we, when we kind of picture this visual image of the body of Christ, normally we picture Christ as the head. It's a body with the trunk and two arms and two legs. And that's pretty much it, right? You either work in the arm, you work in the other arm, leg or leg. Okay, and that's pretty much it. And that's, that's a lot more simple than Paul is describing here. Paul is describing this body made up all these tiny little organisms, all these tiny little cells that play a big, huge role when functioning correctly to maintain unity, to give unity to the whole. And all these little cells, like I said, make tissue and make organs, and all these cells go into making these, these functioning systems. You have several systems within your own body. I'll just give you a few of them. You have the nervous system, you have the respiratory system, you have the circulatory system, the digestive system, the endocrine system, the immune system, the muscular system, the lymphatic system, the reproductive system, and the skeleton system. Now, each system has its own function. It has its own responsibility, but it plays a part, a much bigger part, to contributing to the whole. We'll say this section is our digestive system. This section is our... Um, skeletal system, our muscular system, a lymphatic system. Now, what good is a muscular system if I don't have a skeletal system? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, your digestive system. I should have known you were the teenagers. Um, so anyway, um, moving right along. So if you've got a muscular system and not a skeletal system, you're just kind of a puddle of jello on the floor, right? And it's a very complex system. There's many parts that go into that system. But what I want to see is the tiny makeup. Each cell, each individual plays a part in the whole of maintaining unity. Unity is the product produced by a healthy system in our bodies. 
It's the same in our physical bodies. It's the same in the spiritual body of Christ. Unity is the product that's produced if the system is maintained properly. But what happens if we don't strive to maintain unity by, as Paul prescribes, walking in a manner worthy of our call? If we're not walking in humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing one another in love, what's happening? What's happening? We're not maintaining unity. What's the results of that? I want to give you an illustration that we can, we can all pretty much identify with as far as that is uh, very detrimental to our physical bodies, and that's cancer. I want to give you the clinical definition of what cancer is. Cancer is an abnormal growth of cells which tend to proliferate in an uncontrolled way and in some cases spread. Cancer is not just one disease. It's a group of more than 100 different distinct diseases. Now, can any tell me, anyone tell me where cancer begins? It begins in one single cell. One single cell that does not function in the way that it was designed to. And oftentimes that cancer is not isolated to just one cell, as we know, that it affects other cells. And it grows. The abnormality grows. And what you have is a bunch of rogue cells that are not producing, they're not functioning in a way that they were designed to. Instead, they're doing something completely different. But what does it look like in the we know what it looks like in the physical body, but what is it like in the spiritual body of Christ if we have cells that are dysfunctional and there's spiritual cancer within the church? What does that look like? I can sum it up in one word, and that's division. One word. As prescribed in Ephesians 4, Paul is very blatantly clear that we are to have unity in the body of Christ but what happens when we have cells that do not choose to walk in the manner worthy of calling and do their own thing, we have division. And division can look like many different things. Uh, division can be over arguments over non-fundamental doctrine. Okay, well, I call fundamental doctrine basically the deity of Christ, virgin birth, Jesus is the only way and the atonement for our sins, that he died for our sins, that he was resurrected. There's other things that I would consider fundamentals, but those are just some real key ones. There are other things that I wouldn't consider fundamental, but if we get really real about it, we don't really argue about non-fundamental doctrine a lot. We argue about silly, petty things. Um, let me give you a few examples. The church changed the service time, so we're just going to go somewhere else. I can't believe that they changed the service time. I mean, I actually have to wake up 15 minutes earlier to get to church. I'm going somewhere else. Well, down the road, they've got a bigger program, so can we just go down there? I mean, that's, you know, we'll just kind of bounce back and forth until we can find something that fits our needs. Or, or maybe the church down the road has pink toilet paper and we have blue toilet paper. And that really gets me upset because I don't like seeing blue on Sunday mornings because it makes my eyes water up and I'm allergic to blue. I don't know, something silly like that. Something silly. We spend a lot of times wasting energy and being divisive over things that really have no spiritual significance whatsoever. But we not only see division in that way, we also see division in a way that we have people falling to false doctrine. Uh, we see people that are not equipped and they're not trained in the word, um, and instead they're following a false uh, doctrine by those uh, put out by Oprah and Tom Cruise and others like that. Now, I say that almost in a jesting and joking way, but I'm being dead serious if anybody has heard um, kind of some of their theories and whatnot. I'm not going to have a bash session on Oprah, and I'm sure some people got their feelings hurt, but let's just face it. You know, they put out this big pluralistic view that, man, hey, you just pick a way and you can get there, and that's false. But what happens is if we're not equipped and we're not training God's word and we're not maintaining unity, then how else do we know? How do we spot false doctrine? 
A few other things is when the church becomes so focused, the church as a whole, not just our church, is so focused on attendance and numbers that we, we fail, to, fail to meet the need that we are to push people forward to grow in Christ. Not just fill a building, not just to raise money to build bigger buildings, but instead to use our resources to minister one another, but also to meet people's needs, to reach out to the widows, the poor, and the oppressed. Amen? I mean, am I missing that? That is what unity looked like. However, well, that's not what unity looks like. That's division. That's division. That's spiritual cancer within our body. And make no mistake, spiritual cancer is just as detrimental to our health as physical cancer. I mean, it eats us from the inside out. However, a cell's responsibility is to walk in the manner worthy of his call, is to function correctly in the way that it was designed to do. That is our first priority, is to walk in a manner worthy of the call to which we've been called to. We do that by walking in humility. As Paul says, in gentleness, with patience, bearing one another love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now I want to say one thing about unity. Here's the, here's the totally awesome thing that should at least take some stress off your back. We don't have to create unity. We don't have to create this system that God's already put in place. God has called cells out of darkness into light. God himself saves those cells to put them within the spiritual makeup. God himself has given us gifts to work in the ministry, to serve one another, building the body up in love. We don't have to do any of that except, except to just dive into this process of love. And we're going to talk about this process of love because a cell not only maintains unity by functioning in the way that it's designed to, but a cell also has another function, and that's to replicate, to produce more of its own kind. And that's exactly what we're called to do as well, to produce more of our own kind. Now, God obviously is the author of that, but we play a big part in the process because we all have tools that we're given to replicate. Now, when you come into the, when you come into, um, the, the front doors... And you're coming into the foyer. If you look to the right, how many of you have seen these two big canvases? These two white canvases that have uh, handprints all over them. If you've seen those, okay, what those are is an activity of basically a visual lesson that we did last Student Sunday, uh, simply to talk about our responsibility as an older generation to replicate what we know into our younger generation. So basically, you see yellow, red, and blue. And what those represent is different age groups within the makeup of our, our church here, our local church. And we were saying that we're all in this together. All listen together. We're a village. We're, we're united. We're, we're a body. And we all play a part, each one of us. The tiniest cell has a part in the bigger function and can bring unity to the whole. But we also have to keep in mind that just as we invest in the next generation, our job is also to replicate. And that goes a lot farther than just within our walls. It extends much further beyond our walls. And its spiritual cells replicate in the process of love. So if unity is our product, love is obviously the process. Uh, right here in verse 16, from the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped when each part is working properly. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We maintain unity when each part is working properly. And love is the process by which we do that. There's a third part of that that we'll talk about, but I want to focus on love being the process. And love is something that I've honestly really tried to, I've really struggled to, to grasp over the past year. 
um, of really the just fullness of God's love and his faithfulness. And I don't know that we'll ever grasp the complete understanding of that, but what I want to talk about this morning is how we grasp that and, and we dive into this process and we begin to replicate and we begin to react and we begin to be renewed in this love that God has for us. And oftentimes, what the trap that I have fallen into, and I'll be the first to raise my hand and say guilty, is when we invest and when we replicate and we, we try to reach out to people, we think that we, um, we focus on behavior modification. Can anyone relate to that? We, we focus on the behavior. We don't focus on life transformation from within. We focus every, all our efforts on the external, neglecting really what the internal problem is. And I guess the best way to break that down is oftentimes we just form a Christian do and do not list. And we think as long as we maintain this list, then we're growing more like Christ. And if we can get others outside of our body to go down this checklist, then they can be good Christians too. Now, I've got an example of this checklist. And I, I would guarantee that most everybody here can probably hit everyone on this checklist. Uh, what do you think the first one on the don't checklist is? Anybody? Christians are not to, number one, drink. Christians don't drink. Christians don't, number two, cuss. Number three, Christians don't have sex out of marriage. Christians don't smoke. Christians don't listen to rock and roll. Actually, I added that one, but you can see where we're going with that. All right, what do you think that good Christians do? What are the things that good Christians do? What's that? They go to church. That's a good one. But first, they refrain from all the don'ts. Don't do all those bad things. And then we read our Bible every day. And then we make sure that we pray every day. Now, before everything that I just said in the last few minutes gets taken way out of context, listen closely. There are things that I, I don't condone on the don't list, and there's things that I do condone on the do list. But what I want us to see by this example is how legalistic we can get in the fact that we look at a checklist and think that that makes us more like Christ. We put all our efforts on working on the behavior without really focusing on the internal makeup and the internal workings and letting God transform us with his love from the inside out. Because what happens when you fail and when you mess up and you do something on the don't list and you get convicted about it? You know what happens? You begin to try harder. Oh, oh man, God, I, re I really messed up. Well, let me let me do this for you. Let me do this for you, so I can be in right standing. Let me let me do something else, so so that I can, I can be right with you. Uh, I'll, I'll pray today. I'll, I'll pray. You're working on an external problem. You're addressing an internal problem, and you're working on it externally. It's just like you don't put a bandaid on cancer. It doesn't go away. It's an internal issue. It has to be cut out. For us to maintain unity, for us to replicate, we've got to understand that love is, by the, is the process that we mo are motivated to maintain unity. Love is the process by which the body is built up. We serve in that process, but we cannot serve until we understand love, until we grasp that, until our obedience is not motivated by a checklist, and i just got to make sure that I don't do these things and I do do these things. And instead, we're motivated by love, and we want to be transformed into the image of Christ. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. You see, when we have that checklist, when we have that checklist and we're living our lives by that, in the great words of the theologian Tina Turner, what does love have to do with it? Absolutely nothing. 
Love has absolutely nothing to do with the process. You see, when we often think of church as church growth by putting people in our building, that is pride and love has absolutely nothing to do with the process. If we want to see growth in the body of Christ, it becomes by us being cells that replicate through love and reaching out in love so that people grasp God's love, not just our next big gimmick to get people here. It's all about life transformation, not fixing the external. External. If uh, we see in the Bible Belt churches um, raising a lot of money to build bigger buildings, well, that's great and that's okay if you need those facilities. But the problem is, is when the church begins to hoard that money and use it selfishly within their own walls and not reaching out to those that are poor, that are oppressed, and that are in need. That's greed. And love's not part of that process. Here's the other one I want to address. If you're showing up on Sundays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, living your life by that checklist, and as long as I don't do this, and as long as I show up to church, and as long as I do these things, I can be a good Christian. And then on the weekends or every other day that you're not here, you're going out, you're getting hammered, and you're talking profanely, and you're being promiscuous. I hate to tell you, it's hypocritical, but I think it goes much deeper than that because love's not part of the process. Instead, I think you've misconstrued and maybe you've fooled yourself into thinking that you're someone you're actually not. And maybe you need to look a little bit closer at 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 and examine your heart to see if, if you're even in the faith because you don't understand love. You don't understand love. When we see that love is the correct process for change and not behavior modification, then truly we can bring unity to the body of Christ. We can build itself up in love and we can replicate by bringing those other cells into the body. And then love usually happens in three stages. Three stages. As I've studied, uh, as I've wrestled with this process, I see love happening in three stages. In the student ministry, we've basically based our whole ministry um, on this, on this three-stage process of love, but we've summed it up in two phrases. And we say we worship with passion and we serve with compassion. That's simple. We worship with passion and we serve with compassion. All right, and that all comes from a correct understanding of what love is. And first, we see that love is received. Love is simply received. And Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In order to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, we've got to understand who's calling us. Right? You don't love God just because you love God. You love God because he's first loved you. God has initiated the process. God is the one that has grafted you into the spiritual body of Christ. Amen? Salvation is only through Jesus Christ. There's only one way. God has grafted us in the process. Why? Because we were good? Because we could hold to a checklist? No. God loves us. He chose us. He brought us into the spiritual, uh, spiritual body through what? Through the atonement of Jesus Christ and our faith in him. However, it has nothing to do with us being part of the process. It has everything to do with God just loving us. And one of our biggest strongholds in the body of Christ is we really to fail to just receive that love. We kind of beat ourselves up a lot. And uh, got a, uh, I've really had, had that conversation in the past week about how we put so much pressure on ourselves to, to hit this checklist and just to be like this this... this this perfect being and yes we should be perfect as god is perfect but we also should just just relax and just realize that god is in control and that we are to pursue christ in 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 holiness 
We should pursue his righteousness that comes from first realizing that God loves us. Because there's some of us in here today that, I mean, we have just been, we've really been going through a tough time because, first, we haven't asked for forgiveness from God. But two, we, we really haven't forgiven ourselves after we've asked for forgiveness from God. And you're allowing the enemy to use a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and just to beat you up and keep you from maintaining unity. Because you feel alone, you feel isolated, and you feel like you're part of the outside, and that's not true. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you have taken your sins in faith to Jesus Christ and asked for forgiveness, God is faithful, and he brings that forgiveness. You have got to rely on God's word and know that it's true to say, I am forgiven. And forgive yourself and to move forward and to receive that love that God has for you. Failure to forgive yourself is basically lack of belief in the very word of God. Because according to 1 John 1, 9, it says that God is faithful to forgive. So when you recognize how much God loves you, you're one step closer to maintaining unity. For one thing, is because you realize how messed up you really are and how much God really loves you. And it keeps you from judging other people so harshly and saying, well, I can hold to the checklist. They can't hold to the checklist. We got to realize we're all messed up and we're all on this journey to become more like Christ, right? So we can't be like the Pharisees at Jesus' time and hold to these legalistic standards and say, well, you got to do this, 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 and this, or you don't even come in our door. And if you really want to be a Christian, then you've got to do this, 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 and this, and this. And then, and then all of a sudden, then now we're preaching false doctrine because it has absolutely nothing to do with justification by faith alone. Amen? Our salvation has everything to do with the righteousness of Christ. And we have to re- understand that God initiated that process. That God loves us. And when we become aware of His love, that's when we realize that we, we have to react. When you recognize that God loves you, you can't help but react. Let's think about, for those of you that may be dating or are married in this room, let's think about that process for a minute. And think about um, maybe how it, how it went down for you. It may be that the woman pursued the man and the man pursued the woman. But in some way, one of you kind of uh, fell in love and pursued the other one. Did you not? Well, I hope so. I hope somebody, I hope y'all are in love in this room. So, uh, so however the, that process happened, one person was loving and the other person received that love and they reacted. They can react in a couple ways. They can be like, whatever. Or they can be like, I love you back. And if that relation becomes driven by that love, then you've got a beautiful union. You have unity. But when the relationship becomes strained, and I'm laughing because Amanda's in this service. I'll use the illustration I did last time. We should serve because we love um, and not just because we have to do a checklist. If I'm like, oh, i got to do the dishes. She's not looking. I can't believe I got to do the dishes again. Why can't she do the dishes? I can't believe they're sick. I got to do the dishes. And I'm complaining the whole time, right? Is that really serving built on love? No. That's being being selfish and not wanting to do the dishes. But now if I'm saying, hey, I can see that you're exhausted. I can see that we have three weeks worth of dishes in the sink that I've been putting off washing. And uh, I'll tell you what, today I'm going to serve because I love you, all right? That's totally different. It's totally different when you see a need, when, you, when, you, when love is received and it reacts. And true worship really happens with a heart that has received God's love and just simply reacts to that. 
I mean, that is worshiping with passion. When you recognize how much God loves you, and you just simply love him back with everything you got, just like your physical relationships. When you know how much your spouse loves you, and you just love them back with everything you got, that's, that is the perfect picture of reacting to God's love, who has initiated that process. The third thing that we see in the process of love is that it replicates. And this is where we're going. This is where we're going. And this is where we're really focusing our time. This is where our students have focused their effort this summer. But we could not get to the process of serving until we really understood love. Because love itself replicates. In 1 John 4.20 it says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Simple as that. If you say that you love God, that you're in love with God, whole heart, whole soul, whole mind, whole strength, but you can't meet the needs of those around you and putting love into action, you're a liar. You're an absolute liar because you don't understand love. Because love is to be received. Love is to react in worship. Love is to be replicated and serving with compassion. Why? Why do we serve? We serve to build up the body in Christ in love. We serve one another to encourage one another. We serve one another through teaching. We serve one another through even evangelism. And we serve one, uh, one another through shepherding the flock that we've been given charge of. Why? Because we love. Why? Because we've been loved. And when we're in love with God wholeheartedly, man, you can't help but replicate. You can't help but do something about that. And I question why the church as a whole is stuck right there. If we say we love God wholeheartedly, why does not every fiber of our being scream to replicate that love? So that those cells that are in darkness, that are not part of the spiritual makeup of the body of Christ, do not have to perish, but we're reaching them with the gospel and, and the full context of the gospel where we're meeting physical needs and showing them the love of Christ and replicating the love that we've been shown. Now, we've the students have dedicated the majority of their summer to serving with compassion. That is not first... That has not come before understanding that we're to worship with passion and have a heart that just loves God with everything we've got. And we're still charging through this journey. It's still kind of new to us. But I want to kind of tell you how this journey came about and how the students have understood since last December that we're to maintain unity. Love is the process that we do that. And that process is powered simply by service, that we serve one another, to really love one another and build up the body. As we embarked on this journey, um, I took the students to, I took a few students to a real kind of place where we can meditate and uh, really just be, you know, spiritually focused on what God had for us. So we went to Stevie B's and um, we spent some time there at Stevie B's. Um, and so we were talking and I basically threw this out to the students and I was just like, hey, how are we going to make a difference over the course of the summer? How are we going to impact our, our community? How are we going to show and replicate the love of Christ? And this is the response I got. So I said, okay, they need some time. All right. So I, I went up. I, I decided that I would go up and, um, you know, just to be a good leader and, and give them time to process. Even though I had some really awesome, great ideas that I think that they should do, you know, I was going to say, well, let, let's give them time, right? So I went back to the buffet to get the loaded baked potato pizza, which Pastor Keith introduced me to, and very thankful for that. So... 
while I'm away, they're dialoguing about what can we do to serve in our community. See, I've got all these big ideas like, oh, man, we're going to go. We're going to go into West Montgomery. We're going to do this big like, block party. We're going to get all the kids out down there at the boys club. And we're going to really just minister to these kids and just have this huge, you know, just, just fest of, of loving on the kids in this community. Um, we got some other ideas like that. And then, so I come back to the table. And I'm like, what do you got? So the students very sheepishly were just kind of like, hey, is it, is it possible if we kind of serve the people in our church? And I was, I was honestly kind of floored by that. Because here I am already thinking about like how to make this bigger, how to make this bigger. And they're simply saying, hey, can we just love the people that we're around every day? And that's what they did. That's what they did. They come up with an idea, not only to just something small, something simple, but yet had a very impact on a family's life. And we still continually build relationships with a family within our church. They just like, hey, we can go cut their grass. So loaded up a lawnmower, we can cut their grass. This family needed a refrigerator. We were able to provide them with a refrigerator. Now, I don't say those things to bring glory to ourselves, just simply to say, man, we just put love into action. We begin to replicate the process, the love that we've received. It began with switching that paradigm and understanding that we're loved, and this is what we're supposed to do. So I want to also go on to tell you that through this process of us serving this summer, that a couple students a week ago, or excuse me, two or three weeks ago, um, went back to this family's house and without me prompting them. It has nothing to do with me saying, hey, let's go. They're like, hey, Jason, we're going to go cut grass today. I have no idea where they're going. They go back to the family's house. The family's not home, so they begin to cut grass around the neighborhood. They just start stopping at houses. Hey, can we cut your grass? So they're cutting grass. They end up praying with people throughout the neighborhood, going back and cutting that family's grass. Why? Because they understand that, man, I'm loved. I love God. And, man, I'm going to love others. And this is what I'm supposed to do. It's through these good deeds that hopefully we can reach these people with the gospel and they can see the love that's within us. And that can begin to replicate. Because the cell has a big picture, not just a picture of itself and being selfish. And when that cell dies out, there's nothing to replace it. Um, another thing that they did, several of you guys were very um, thankful for date night, for those of you participated. Um, and we, I'm sure you guys enjoy a night out for just even a few hours. But uh, I should also tell you, date night had absolutely nothing to do with my idea. That was, once again, out of this meeting where the students saw a need where they could serve their church, where they could build up the body of love. And that's exactly what they did. They just took initiative. They saw a need and did it. They didn't need uh, a sign-up sheet. They didn't need anyone to ask them. They didn't need anyone to prompt them. They simply said, God loves me, I love God, and I love my church, and I'm going to serve them. Simple as that. Now, as I said before, the process of replication goes not just within our walls, but outside their walls. And we have to get in a unity and a kingdom mindset to understand that we may never see people that we serve again. It, it, it just is part of the process. That doesn't mean that we don't serve. I've asked Lexi Alpert to come up here, and we're going to talk about that a little bit and let her share uh, a little bit from the middle school mission trip and uh, so you guys can understand the process. You can clap for Lexi. Thank you for joining us, Lexi. All right, Lexi, we went on that middle school mission trip to Beaufort this summer. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about how that was structured? Well, when we got there, we were split up into different groups of people, that, all the other people that were there. And we had jobs around Beaufort and South Carolina. And they were like painting and working with um, foster homes and elderly homes. All right. And within the, while you were serving in the community, were you with our group and people that you know? No, 
Absolutely not. So tell me a little bit about that process and how that worked as far as serving with those people. Um, it was first it was kind of nervous, but then like the whole week you got to know them and we made really good friends. Uh, do you keep in touch with any of those those people at camp? So see the way that worked is they they were came in and they split us up and we were working with people that we've never even seen before. But out of that experience, Lexi, what really impacted you? Like, what did you take away? The second day we were there, we were working with hospice, and one of the ladies had Alzheimer's, and she kept on forgetting who we were and if we were there. And by the end of the day, she remembered us, and she wanted us to stay with her. Right, and that impacted Lexi's life. I had the opportunity to speak with her about that. And here's a lady with Alzheimer's that, that they go and serve during the week and, and uh, can't remember them day to day and the end of the week. She really, uh, you really made an impact on her life. But what do, you, what do you bring back to Montgomery through that, Lexi? The jobs that we were doing there were things that are needed here in Montgomery, so we could keep on doing those things and have to stop there. And do you have any plans? Sorry. Do you have any plans to to keep that up here? Yes, we are going to volunteer at um, retirement homes. Well, Lexi, thank you for joining us today, and thank you for giving us insight on really what it means to love and serve. And I think the thing that impacts me the most out of that is that... uh, you know, as Lexi shared, we're serving with people we have we have never even seen before, um, and we're serving people that we'll never see again, never see again. But why do we do that? It's simply because love is to replicate, and to walk in a manner worthy of the call uh, brings unity to the body of Christ. I can't tell you how encouraged I've been this summer over just watching the students um, serve. Uh, it's truly a blessing to not only lead, but to be right along beside them. And, and just to watch this process of them growing in Christ and them growing in love and understanding, man, God loves me and, and I'm going to love him back. And that, man, we're, we're to maintain this unity and that, that we build up the body through service. And so the bottom line for this morning, the bottom line is simply this. In the body of Christ, unity is the product, love is the process, and it's always powered by service. True love always takes action. Now, we all have the responsibility of maintaining unity by walking in the manner worthy of which we've been called. We're also to replicate by using our gifts, as Paul prescribes, that we've been given through Christ to build up the body of Christ in love. But we have to also understand that love is the only way to accomplish this process. And I've said love a lot this morning, but I hope you take away that you are loved, that you love God, and you love others. Um, I feel like the students have really set the bar and set the example in service. Um, I say that not pridefully. I say that with all humility to say that our student body is kind of leading the way. And I hope that we'll all just jump on board and follow them as they love God. I didn't say they were perfect. I've been on many trips with them. They're not perfect. But I want to say, man, um, anytime I take our students anywhere, there's just this maturity that goes, goes with them. Um, and they are very passionate about loving God and worshiping Him. They're very passionate about serving. Um, and the only thing that we've had to work through during that process is to recognize that love's God, God's love really drives that train and that, that we need to be replicating that love. There's a few other videos I want to show you guys this morning of how the students have served this summer and how we're going to continue to serve in the fall. I'll recap those as we kind of go through those. Uh, but if you would direct your attention to the screen. <laughs> 